This episode is brought to you by some of our amazing patrons over on Patreon. Thank you to Rachel Nuno. Thank you so much to Kevin Ramos. Thank you to Jay. Thank you so much to Emily Vortherms. If you would like to get your name read on one of our episodes, you can support us on Patreon for $10 a month. If you do that, you'll also get access to a video recording of our weekly Patreon episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakup. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about... What is it about? Here we go. Love. <laughs> yeah. Heartbreak. All the relationship advice you don't want to hear. <laughs> Just keep this in. My name is Sierra DeMolder. <laughs> and I'm Sam Blackwell. <laughs> this week, we're going to tackle topics like getting ghosted by a celebrity, lying for attention, and wondering when to stop trying. Ooh. But... Before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health people, and also we apparently can't even do our own intro, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you trust us with anything. <laughs> that is so true. Also, last week we joked about like our humble opinion being like 10 times more humbled. I thought about that all week where I was just like... Dang, life has just like humbled me so much in the past <laughs> since we started this podcast. All of my beliefs have like shifted a little bit. Um, yeah, so we are not professionals. We are not trained in this. Um, we don't know what we're talking about. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble muse, ever humbled musings to hopefully <laughs> shed some understanding and hopefully some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. So, Sam, check-in topic for this week mm -hmm. is kind of like inspired by a idea slash maybe fact that I read from the Gottman Institute. The Gottman Institute is the institute that I referenced like maybe a couple months ago based on a blind book, a blind blind date, <laughs> um, not a blind book. Um, it was a book by the... Um, Gottman's, which were are two, they're like a married couple. They've been running this institute for like 35 years in which they mm -hmm. do clinical research on couples and relationships and what challenges couples, what keeps them together, you know, long lasting relationships, whatever. And so the Gottman Institute is a co super cool research that I've been really enjoying the last couple months. Um, but I read recently some um, findings from their 35, 40 year research. And this one really surprised me that 60, they said that 69% of all relationship conflict is unsolvable, hmm. unsolvable. Like, um, you know, you're never going to come to a resolution about this or that this will be a perpetual conflict in your relationship. And, you know, they gave some examples like being tardy, you know, where one person is tardy and one person isn't. And you have to, that might be an unsolvable conflict because one person will never change the way they are and vice, vice versa. And right. I, I thought that was just like a fascinating um, bit of information gleamed from their research. And it's such a great reminder that like we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect in relationships and to have perfect partners and, mm -hmm. um, and conflict is hard for us as humans. Right. And I think it's really, I, I really liked that statistic because it reminded me that there are going to be 
moments or points of conflict in my relationship that are unsolvable, that are that I need to find like a level of mediation in um, or acceptance to. And then there's also going to be times in which there's conflict that is unsolvable in a way that maybe compatibility is being threatened. And I need to decide that like, I either want to live with this conflict or I don't want to live with the conflict. Um, And I know you have some thoughts on that. Uh, One more really thought before I turn it over. I think too, we, we try, we want to change our partners so much, you know, like we, (laughs) when we're presented with conflict, it's like not to meet a resolution. It's to, make the other person believe what you're what you want them to believe you know Mm. we approach conflict so much like that and i just thought all of these thoughts were i guess like stimulated from this one statistic shared from the Gottman institute so just wanted to unpack it that's really interesting um and i think it like fits into you know we as a culture right in the united states generally especially for us white folks who are sort of in the dominant culture um are really unpracticed at Mm. not or at experiencing conflict right because like so much of the world is designed for us and like works for us and we're like so used to getting our own way um that it can be really weird to come up against a situation where it's like Oh, and there's no resolution here, right? Mm. We talk all the time about conflict resolution, conflict resolution, as if like the goal is always to resolve the conflict. But I think sometimes it's better for us to become more practiced in like conflict, comfort with conflict Mm. or like the ability to like, like conflict resiliency really is like, how do we get to a place where it's like, yeah, you know, um, Peter's an on-time person. I'm a late person. And like, we just have to accept that that is the way that both of us are. And we're going to have, like, we could either like try and be people that we're not or try and do things that are, that are outside of our preferences all the time. Mm -hmm. Or we can just figure out to be like, cool, he has this preference. I have this preference. They're not necessarily in conflict. They're not Mm -hmm. necessarily like, they're Mm -hmm. not necessarily even affecting each other. It's just that they're different and it's okay that they're both different. And so Peter can know that like, and we can be mindful of those preferences and like act accordingly when we want to, but not resolve it. Like I don't need Peter to be a late person like me. Like he can be an on-time person and we can have actual conversations about calling out like, do, is this a thing where we need to be on time? Because then I can, I can stretch. Right. Or is this a thing where like, it's, I don't want to be the first one there. So can we like be 20 minutes late, please? And then like have that conversation, right? It's more about sort of like, how do we, how do we take these things that are conflicts and actually practice what it means to talk about it and like make intentional decisions about who's going to be flexing and who's going to be stretching and not just make the assumption that always one person is going to be the one that's stretching. And I love the way you talk about it too, because conflict is a practice and it's mm-hmm. not to be av- it's not to be avoided it's not like no conflict makes you a better person right conflict right. makes us kinder more compassionate more self advocating mm-hmm. you know and the mm-hmm. more we lean into that conflict um the more comfortable we com- we become with that really great intuitive discomfort that that can be such a great teacher to us right mm-hmm. um and the Gottman Institute shares, um, 
I was just reading that they share nine destructive signs of, of an unsolvable problem. And I thought mm. I would share them really quickly because they are really interesting. Like I, I think the, the tardy and not tardy um, personality traits is such a good line in the sand. Cause it's not like, I think certain people would see that tardiness and say like, you are making me unauthentically my, like you're making me feel unauthentic, right? You are, you are affecting my ability to be myself, you know, and that might be an unsolvable problem for a relationship. Um, but in yours, it's obviously some, I love the the push and pull um, imagery that you shared. So uh, the nine destructive signs that it is an unsolvable problem is if you feel rejected by your partner, like just totally mm-hmm. rejected mm-hmm. for who you are, you keep attempting oh. to talk about the issue, but make no headway where you're just like, no, it's going nowhere. You become entrenched in your position, are are unwilling to budge or be flexible. That that is that third step for me. I think about whiteness, right? I think about how <laughs> yeah, whiteness often plants its feet, you know, and 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 because it's more comfortable to feel, you know, entrenched in that than than to be challenged at all. Um, mm-hmm. Four, you discuss when you discuss the subject, you end up feeling more frustrated and hurt. That's an interesting mm-hmm. one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, five, your conversations about the problem lack humor, amusement, or affection. I think that's really oh. sweet. Just reminding us that like conflict isn't, does not inherently have to be um, aggressive or combative that conflict yep. doesn't mean we're at each other's throats trying to defend our own positions till death do us part you know um, conflict can be much more affectionate Con- a conflict can be done with a certain amount of softness um, so number six you do not accept your partner's influence meaning you do not allow their needs or perspective to influence your position you know that sounds like you and the tardiness thing like that you're allowing peter's desire to be on time influence your approach at, be, out of mm-hmm. kindness and love seven you vilify each other during these conversations and in your thoughts even when you're alone dang <laughs> i feel a little oh, called God. out by that one <laughs> Well, think about the inner monologues that we have after an argument, like, well, you know, Willow's just really stubborn and, you know, mm-hmm. we continue to tell ourselves, we can do like, you ever argue in the shower with someone alone? <laughs> yeah, no, it's for me, it's in the middle of the night when I wake up <laughs> and then I'm suddenly in this argument with this person and I'm like, can I just go back to sleep? Yeah, like, why yeah, am yeah. I lying in bed in the pitch dark, like <laughs> arguing with Oh my God. My Are you ready for number eight? Like three jobs ago. <laughs> number eight is the vilification. This vilification makes you all the more rooted in your position and you and your partner become polarized. Oh my God. This is, this is a lot about whiteness right here too. Um, <laughs> uh, extreme in your views and all the less willing to compromise. Like um, how what, that, that tension and conflict that we feel and the attack that we feel in conflict almost makes us feel even more emboldened to, to, to dig our heels in and say, no, 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 this is my opinion. You know, like, um, Mm -hmm. there's something, the right way to do it. There's a, there's a right way and a wrong way. Yeah. And that's just, that is not where growth lives. Right. Um, okay. And then finally you are disengaged from each other emotionally. Um, Mm. so I know I just like unpacked a ton of us on there, but I, I think that these are all such good things to remember. And for me as a, as a people pleasing 
two in on the Enneagram who really wants to be liked, I have to remember my constant mantra is conflict is not bad. I'm not mm-hmm. a bad person for having conflict. I'm a brave normal human for having conflict and conflict makes my relationships stronger. Absolutely. And remembering that like the tenets of white supremacist culture are, well, at least two of them. One is fear of open conflict, right? We see all conflict as a threat or or something to be resolved so that we can sort of go back to not talking about things and this right to comfort too, Right. right? This idea of like, we have an inherent right to be comfortable all the time, right? which is like not true <laughs> yeah, and does not actually exist. And that actually like our comfort doesn't come before the necessarily, right? The quality of our relationship or the, the comfort right. of other people or whatever it is. Right? right. And so how can we get more practiced in being uncomfortable and not recognize and recognizing that like being uncomfortable is not the same thing as being not safe. Right. Mm, and those are wow. two very different. You and ideas. I could unpack that right there for an entire episode because. Wow. I think there's just so much growth potential in just sitting in that idea of like, when am I safe versus when am I uncomfortable? Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. You ready to get into some letters? Let's do it. All right. This first letter is from Sophia the Weird, who is writing from the deepest and most disturbing part of my soul. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we like to hang out. <laughs> Dear Sam and Sierra, thank you for your wonderful podcast and for always brightening my day with it. I am super embarrassed about what I'm about to tell you and wouldn't do it if it weren't for the safe space you provide with Just Break Up. Okay, I am a 28-year-old female, and BC, before COVID, I had a two-night stand. Only, it wasn't just with some random guy, but with someone famous. I won't mention his name because no one would believe it anyway, and this is about me, not him. (laughs) (laughs) Meeting him was a total coincidence. When I recognized him, I just walked up to him, drunk courage, and asked if it was really him. And then one thing led to another. Ironically, I wasn't even a fan. I gave him my number, expecting nothing of it, and a couple weeks later, he booty called me, which I had offered at, w- because he was in the area again. If it's not clear because of my editing skills, because I edited this letter for brevity, this is a celebrity. Like a okay. very famous person. Yes, a very famous musician from what I've gleamed. Like, I really want you to DM us who it is, but like also like privacy <laughs> and consent. <laughs> okay, ready? The sex with this celebrity was great, but nothing out of the ordinary. What surprised me, what uh, though, were our conversations. We did some pretty deep talk, mainly about being bisexual, because both of us are. He's still in the closet, though, so I was very surprised about how open he talked to me about it. We also talked about other things. He specifically took an interest in my life and asked me loads of questions, probably to appear more modest and polite, or maybe he really is. Needless to say, I was very flattered. I take great pride in my career as a lawyer and consider myself strong, confident, and independent. He specifically pointed out that even though we were roughly the same age, keep that in mind. So when I Google this later, like 28 year old musician, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, uh, I'm laughing at myself for being so stupid. Anyway, uh, even though we were roughly the same age, our lives were so different and I had a much higher education um, and that he'd never been with anyone this smart. 
Now, I wasn't romantically interested um, in this celebrity at all when we first met, but his comments quickly turned me from a wannabe Samantha Jones into a 12-year-old fangirl. He even joked about us dating, which is very clearly never going to happen, and literally said that um, us dating would be like George Clooney and his wife. How the fuck do you not romanticize this? This all happened right before COVID, and I have never heard from him again. However, I think about him every single fucking day, which brings (laughs) me to this question. How do I stop? I know I will never see him again, and it's pointless. This probably sounds like a very bad fan fan fiction written by a preteen, and I'm so embarrassed for feeling this the way that I feel. Obviously, I told my friends that I had sex with him, but no one knows about these feelings because I'm mortified. I'm a living cliche, and I hate myself for it. I'm constantly fantasizing about seeing him again and cheesy dates that will never happened. He did some new music after we met and I've been listening to every song like a thousand times hoping it's about me. I keep repeating every single detail about the our conversations in my head and overanalyzing it like a fucking 12 year old. He, all the 12 year old just break up listeners are like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have nicer makeup than me and really famous on TikTok. Anyway. I'm he, also like, hey, friends, this, this is an adult podcast. <laughs> I know, friends. <laughs> hey, friends. <laughs> he probably does stuff like this every week, aka like sleeping with people, and has already forgotten about my entire existence. We are, I'm very aware uh, of all that, but it does not stop me from imagining like a Hollywood wedding. I'm using humor as a coping mechanism here, but seriously, it's impacting my life. Like, I'm caught in this fantasy I can't get out of. I'm comparing everyone I meet to him, and of course, nobody can compare because he's not an actual person. Or is he? I hope you know what I mean by that. (laughs) I'm so desperate that I literally Googled how to quit having a crush on a celebrity. This wasn't very helpful because usually people (laughs) never meet their idols, let alone have sex with them. I'm also trying to do the head and heart work, as you would say. I'm guessing the main reason why I feel so lost in this fantasy is that I'm unhappy with my life as it is and using this dream as an escape from reality. Last year, I turned my back on an amazing career to go back to school to pursue my PhD. I was supposed to do some research abroad with it and expected to meet so many inspiring people and teach classes, but none of it happened with the pandemic. For a whole year, I've been sitting by myself in my apartment now, writing my thesis with absolutely no human contact except some online classes. My family is far away and my friends are amazing, but they're all busy with jobs and relationships. I went from a very high income to being basically broke again, and I'm questioning whether I made the right choice. I'm disappointed and lonely and bored. Now, imagining being the next Alma Clooney (laughs) makes my life, my real life, even worse. I've never been the kind of girl who plastered her bedroom walls with boy band posters. And now that I'm nearly 30, this shit is happening to me. Sometimes I wonder whether there's something deeply wrong with me. Can you have feelings for someone you only met twice? Sure. The time we spent together was super intense, but it's been ages. Right now, I'm feeling desperate and stupid, and I just want to go back to the person I used to be. I'm a grown-ass woman and not a groupie. Also, I've considered texting him to meet him again or at least get some closure, but I don't even know if he still uses this number. Probably not. And if he even reads these texts, like, I hardly know how to date a regular person. Also, I don't want to make a complete idiot out of myself. Do you have any idea how to stop romanticizing and stop thinking about a person who is so far out of your reach? Thanks for reading, Sophia. 
All right, I got to say really quickly that I edited the fuck out of this letter for brevity, and I wanted to share briefly that Sophia is all still in a new relationship right now with a woman who she loves. She, I don't know if she loves her, but the relationship's <laughs> going well. Um, she's really happy with her, and the girlfriend is a fan of this musician. So that adds another layer to this um, this pickle that Sophia finds herself in. Um, and Sophia, I got to say, I'm sorry that I was giggling the whole letter, but you have a very charming narrative voice in your writing. <laughs> and um, I, you are very obviously using humor to like as a coping mechanism and it just works. So I'm not like laughing at your problems. I'm laughing along with you in your description of your problems. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Sophia, out the bat, off the <laughs> gate, whatever mm-hmm. we say here at Just Break Up. Um I hope you hear in my recitation of your letter, which by the way is like cut in half. So I cut at least <laughs> I cut at least half of the things you said about yourself that you are really, really, really being hard on yourself about something that I understand why you're feeling hard about yourself, but like in 10 years, you're gonna look back at this and be like, oh my God, do you remember when I laughed along with Sam and Sierra about how weirdly obsessed I became with so-and-so and also do you remember that I had sex with a celebrity like what a wild story um mm-hmm. again I'm not making light of this because I I see how I I mean I think you're right that this is like taking a place in your life um that is influenced by some of the harder things that you're going through um but you're being so hard on yourself and you're mm-hmm. being hard on 12 year olds <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that there's this like narrative that teen girls are like stupid and obsessed and, um, you know, that their feelings aren't like valid at all. Mm-hmm. And Olivia Gatwood has a great poem out there. I think it's called um, like everything is uh, the moon is a teen girl or something like that. Whatever. Look up teen girl and Olivia Gatwood about justifying that like fandom, you know, being excited about something, being open about something daring to have feelings um and be joyful about things isn't something that's immature it's not a it's not a character flaw in you or teen girls across the world um you're you you're being really hard on yourself yeah for sure i can tell you that like the probably the best way to not stop thinking about someone is to just continue to tell yourself to stop thinking about them. Right? Yeah, and like, to tell yourself that you're an asshole and dumb yeah, and there's something wrong with like, you about thinking about them. I think that the probably the worst way to get over a feeling also is to tell yourself you're an idiot for having that feeling. <laughs> right? like, Tried like and true those, method, though. <laughs> no, let me, let me tell you, I spent a long time trying that method uh, to no success whatsoever. So, like, let me just say this. Um, it, it's not it is absolutely listen i listen i read every person's letter that comes into this podcast i can tell you it is not uncommon for you to have very strong feelings for someone you hooked up with twice i know i saw that <laughs> and i i saw that line and it, it stood out to me so much because i because we read so much of those letters like of course we feel intense connections to people especially absolutely. when we don't see them again so we can romanticize the moments that did happen or or could happen you know yeah, especially if like the two times that you met each other, it was all like, oh, imagine how great our lives could be if we could be together. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If that's yeah. if that's like the basis of your whole relationship, of course, because now you're in this sort of fantasy life of what's happening. 
And it's really, it's nice to sit in those fantasy lives sometimes. It's, it's like, when, especially, you know, all of the things that you said about how you are feeling sort of, um, you know, you went from making a lot of money to making a little money. You're sort of feeling defeated by your program. You're feeling lonely. Like, yeah. Why do you think Netflix exists? Because like <laughs> we want, we want to like engage in other things that are outside of like our mundane world. And it, it's like, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense to me that you've met this person. They were charming. They were unexpectedly like really open with you. They mm-hmm. wanted to talk to you about how you could have this amazing life that isn't your current like meh life, right? And now you're like, that's all you can think about. Like, I don't, it's funny to me how much you like are blaming yourself for this. When for me, it's like, oh man, yes, absolutely. Like, I that's know. how I would feel too. Totally. It, that's, I would for sure be obsessed with this guy <laughs> for the time being because like, yeah, you need, you're feeling in sort of a rut and you're looking for something to to give you some excitement and some hope. Yeah. And also like. You know, we get letters from people who are like, I hooked up with my coworker a couple times and now I can't stop thinking about him and now I have to see him all the time. Or like I hooked up with my professor or whatever it is. You hooked up with this person and now you have to not just like see him when you're at work, but you have to like see him everywhere. You have to like you turn on the TV and it's on like Good Morning America or whatever. Like, of course, you instantly like, <laughs> Google's 20 year old musician. Good Morning America. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I, I made up that detail. So know, like, know, who knows know. if that's actually happened or like, you know, you go on Instagram and someone has like, yeah, retweeted something like I, 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 he's I everywhere. It's just like. It's you, so, you can't block just, us magazine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So like it doesn't. I want to, I, to all this to say. I just want you to stop being so hard on yourself. Like, yeah, I just want you to sort of see this as the situation that it is, which is like all of these factors came together to really just like yeah. fuck with your brain. Like- I have been obsessed <laughs> with a lesser person for much less reasons. <laughs> you know, like, I had, oh, mm. <laughs> the number of hookups that I had that I was then like, this is my person. Yeah. And, we're going to be together. <laughs> oh, if only they hadn't ghosted me. We yeah, could have had the yeah. most beautiful life together. I we say all this just to say, like, I don't think your reaction is an is an unusual one. Like, sure, you I we definitely can tell you're being hard on yourself for about for or you're questioning the space that it's taking up in your brain for sure. Right. But understandable. This, right. And, and and it's also understandable because like you're like unhappy with your life right now and you're like this is taking up space that i don't want it to anymore all of Mm -hmm. this is so normal um i i and i would also point out that the the idea that this person is a celebrity um robs you of the opportunity to do what you wouldn't do in a normal like hookup slash crush slash ghosting experience which is block them and be like, we're never going to see each other again. And I'm going to, you know, right. like you have been the opportunity to like cleanse your life of this person has been taken away from you because of the existence of our celebrity culture and because of whatever he's doing out there in his his life. Um, and that's a bummer. But I would also I would encourage you to like see if there are some ritualistic type things that you can do that help you cut that cut that emotional cord. Can you block him from your Instagram. Can you mm-hmm. block the tag of him? You know, and when he comes mm-hmm. up in life, change the subject, right? Like, are there ways that you can start emotionally putting up those walls? Well, and also forgiving yourself for holding space for this person for the 
in the first place. Like there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Um, sure. I'm, I'm wondering what acceptance looks like in this um, and how can we accept where we are without penalizing ourselves for for this assumed super fa- superficiality that you see in this. There's not, this isn't, right. you're not like a gold digger, right? Like, first of all, right. I don't even know if that exists. Like, whatever. <laughs> I like, I feel like I threw out a term out there that I don't know if I like endorse or not, but like, you're not out there like trying to be famous or, or superficial because you were attracted to somebody. Yeah. It's not like you saw his picture in a magazine and was like, Oh my God, I'm obsessed with this person. Like I'm going to, I'm like, I can't, I'm having these intrusive thoughts about this person, yeah. which also isn't even that bad. Right. Like we can talk right. about that too. Like you, you did, you we had all have intrusive em- thoughts. Yeah. Right. You had an emotional connection with this man. Right. It doesn't and matter that he's famous. For sure. And there are probably lots of other people in this world who think that they've had emotional re- like relationships with this man because of the, the reality of fandom and stardom. Right. But I, you don't have to negate your own experiences because they are, because other people are having similar experiences that aren't necessarily as real as yours was. Right. right? Like you're not making this up. Right. You, you, you spent a lot of time with this man. You talked about a lot of really passionate things, right? You like, you were really emotionally vulnerable with him. Like he is real and you had this real, you had this real relationship with him. You're not making it up. Yeah. And so like, you're not, you're not acting like a, like a, fan who's sort of like making up emotional intimacy with the person that they have this fandom with, right? Like you actually had it. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need to belittle it or undermine it because it did exist and it's okay right. for it to exist. Right. And, I, and one of the things, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say, I love that you use the word real, um, that he's a real person, but so are you. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you had a real experience, you know, all, yes. all, yep. and, and now I want you to share what you were going to share. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, and I also think um, one of the things that I'm working with my therapist on is not integrating thoughts, which is like a whole new thing for me, where like just because you're having a thought doesn't mean that it's an important thought or like doesn't mean that you need to like make it part of you. Mm. And so like how can you spend time in this when you're thinking of this man and instead of sort of fixating and being like, oh, I'm thinking about him, I'm thinking about him, what does that mean? What does that mean? Instead, be, just be like, this is a thought. Like, hmm, there's there's a thought that's coming up for me. And try not to sort of spend time with it or like interrogate it in the way that you're doing. Because it sounds like you're doing what I do all the time, which is like, mm-hmm. oh, I had this thought. What does this mean? Let me like, let me get into it and like dive in. And, and instead be like, no, our brains are going everywhere all the time right we have no control over like what our mm. brains do so how can you say like instead of saying like oh i'm spending all of my time thinking about him when he comes up just being like oh cool that's happening and sort of like move on right like not attach emotional weight to it not attach like significance to it but just sort of let it pass through not integrate it into into your being anymore because it's absolutely natural that you would have thoughts about this person that you were emotionally vulnerable with, that you sort of had this connection with. Those things are going to come up, especially because right. you're seeing him all the time. So it's not like there's something wrong with you that this is happening. And it's not like you need to spend a whole lot of time psychoanalyzing why it's happening, because we know why it's happening. Yeah, you We're connected with him. You're seeing him. And so how do you sort of let those thoughts happen and be like, yep, this is coming up for me. Cool. There's nothing, there's nothing to see here. There's no significance here. It's just, there's not, it's just happening. It's happening. Cool. Great. Moving on. Yep. I love that. 
yeah, I think that covers it for me. Cool. Listen, we love your letter, Sophia. Thank Sophia, you so much for writing. We love you so much. <laughs> we love you so much. And hey, it's been a really hard year. Be easy on yourself. Absolutely. We love Absolutely. you. And also like, DM us who this is. I mean, like we respect your privacy and their privacy, but like, if you wanted to, <laughs> just break up bad. <laughs> All right, Sophia. Thank uh, you. So, we love you. I, I hate us. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? I will tell you that I 100% am in that 75% of people. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had maybe, I don't know, 15 subscriptions, um, but I couldn't believe it when actually I had way more than the, <laughs> that. And it was things that I both had forgotten about and not forgotten about, but like seeing it all in one place was a real sort of amazing moments of clarity for me from streaming services and fitness apps and delivery services. Like everyone's trying to sell you a subscription now. And Rocket Money is great because it helps make sure that you're no longer wasting money on the ones that you forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that helps find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. I love how the dashboard helps me see this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits. It is humbling (laughs) (laughs) and incredibly helpful. Uh And they'll also help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in cancel subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Go ahead. All right. Our next letter comes from lying to myself who is writing from the void. Hi there. Sending love to you both along with my letter. Thanks for making us laugh and being an integral part of our development. Trigger warning for sexual assault, rape, and miscarriage. I was recently broken up with and I noticed something during my self-reflections that I've, at some level, always been aware of but never have really addressed or even acknowledged. I'd like to share this. I'm confessing the worst thing that I've ever done. I've told some lies, man. Some big, bad lies. The untruths I am referring to usually come out during the get-to-know-you stage of romantic relationships, sometimes friendships, or when I'm being dumped in an attempt to make them stay. When I refer to lying, what I've noticed is I've exaggerated my experiences more than fabricated them. These were not premeditated. They always came out of my mouth and surprised me, basically being news to me at the same time as the other person I was lying to. I've been trying to identify the cause or trigger for this, and while I'm yet to make any conclusions, I wonder if I'm coming from a place of seeking sympathy or attention. 
This first happened in my early adulthood, a dozen or so years ago. Despite the time and amount of self-reflection I've done, I've never admitted the fact that I've stretched the truth because on some fucked up level, I feel as though these exaggerations actually did happen to me, as though the damage and trauma I feel from reality was bigger and more painful than it should have been for the real event. So I made the cause of the trauma seem bigger than it was. For example... My most recent relationship was the first relationship I had after being sexually assaulted. While the sexual assault was terrible, it did not involve penetration. When I told my partner about the sexual assault, he assumed that I was telling him I was raped, and I just let him think that. For the next 18 months, I let my partner think I was raped. Who does that? I guess it felt like the extent of the damage and pain was being recognized for the first time. Mm. So when he made an assumption I was talking about penetrative rape, I let him because the pain was so severe that it made my reaction feel justified. But it's something that I have held guilt around, but apparently not enough to confess. It's made me feel like an evil person at heart. Another example is pre-head and heart work. I was very anxiously attached and someone was leaving me. In the depths of my emotion, I ended up telling him I was going through a miscarriage. Many people out there have been raped or had miscarriage, so how dare I claim the pain around this for self-serving purposes? On the outside, I look like a great person. I'm known in my community for volunteering and fundraising. However, this dark secret about myself has me questioning. Are people born evil? Mm. What is wrong with me that I need to lie for attention? Where are these lies coming from? Is this something other people have done, or am I really messed up? These questions may be things that I should ask myself. But how do I move forward from this? I'm unable to confess to the people I've lied to. Some of them were like 12 years ago and it'd just be weird and painful for everyone involved. I need to find a way to make peace with what I've done, understand where it came from and find a way to heal that part of me and forgive myself and move forward without doing it again. Any insights you have would be so helpful. Thank you. All right, lying to myself. Thank you so much for writing and for trusting us um, with this letter. I think Sam and I want to like check in with each other before we get into any unprofessional, unqualified advice that we have because, um, and, and while we're doing this check-in line, I want you to, Sam always says this really eloquently. We, I don't want you to use what we're, what the feelings that we're processing as another way to hate yourself or as another way to believe that you're evil at heart. Um, Mm -hmm. you've, you've eloquently said that before. Mm -hmm. Is there a better way to say it? Okay. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, but because, and, and, but we want to check in with each other first, because as you anticipated lying, um, you know, this letter brings up some big feelings for us. You know, these are some, Mm -hmm. these are big lies and they're about some big painful life experiences. And there are, real world systemic ramifications of, you know, of lies like these. And I think Sam and I just wanted to check in first about our feelings um, and to explicitly, you know, when we're thinking about our purpose in answering this letter, our, our goal is not to condemn or is not to condone these lies. um, But our goal is to help you, examine why that happened and help you move forward without these lies. Like that's our goal. But I feel like we needed to check in first about the big feelings that we're feeling, you know, because we don't want it to seem like we're that we, that we feel neutral about them because, because we don't, they, they bring up those, they bring up a lot for us. Yeah, for sure. 
And I think that like a younger me who was more self-righteous and sort of like in my own understanding of the world and sort of in this really sort of black and white thinking about things, I would have dismissed this immediately and said like, I can't believe you lied about that. That's totally yeah. not okay. I'm not interested in hearing any more from you. Right. And I think that there are probably going to be people who listen to this podcast who feel the same way. And yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell those people to not feel that way. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know anyone else's experience except for my own. And I don't know the reasons why people would, would want to sort of shut this down. But I'll say that for myself, having sort of come into all of the ways in which I fuck up on a regular basis and the ways in which I am so imperfect and do things that young me would have like would have thought I was incapable of doing. (laughs) right? Right. Has like taught me so much more empathy and so much more compassion for people who are doing things that they know aren't good or aren't right and are struggling with like the fact that it feels uncontrollable or or unforgivable and yet they still like don't know why they're doing it. Right. And so like I want to create space for both of those things to exist at the same time. Right. right? To create space around the idea that like lying about sexual assault, lying about having a miscarriage, lying about sort of any trauma that that have so impact people, impacted people is not okay. And that the people who do those things are still people and are struggling and are trying to figure out how they can make amends and move forward right. with the reality that they did this thing that they're not happy with and that they're ashamed of. Right. And both of those things can exist at the same time. So yes, you're absolutely right, lying to myself that like the lies that you told were not acceptable, right? right. And they're not they're not good lies to be telling, even though in so many ways, they probably were justified, right? Like they were, you can explain why you were feeling the way that you're feeling and well, why they al- why they came out of your mouth, right? We can always point, we can draw a map to our pain and our choices. We can always Absolutely. draw that map. Absolutely. And at the same time, you're not an evil person for having done this. You are not, there is, no one is evil. There are no evil people, right. friends. <laughs> like, right. I wish that that were the case because that would make life so much easier because then we could just dismiss a whole group of people if we wanted yeah. to and, like, yeah. not care about them. But, like, you're not an evil person for having done this. And let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah. about ways that you can move forward and heal so that you don't enact this again. Right? I thought that was beautiful and eloquent, and I'm so grateful that you're my podcast co-host. And I also <laughs> just had this epiphany that this connects to our con- our check-in topic about conflict. Like, mm. there is there that fear, not fear, or like that dismissal, I think is the word that you used that I thought was really powerful. Um, that dismissal makes us feel comfortable sometimes. It makes us feel mm. safe and righteous, right? The dismissal of not wanting to lean into conflict. And um, yeah, I just think everything you said was really good. And, and, and to you lying now you're, you're ready to face it, right? This is, this is step one, or you've already started looking at yourself. You've already started questioning why you do this. So this maybe writing and to just break up is step five out of step a hundred, like out of a hundred steps, right. Um, About really examining the choices that we make, the impact of those choices, um, and how we can align our choices with our, with what we know, with our morals, with our authenticity, um, and with our compassion. Um, mm-hmm. so 
yeah, I feel good about that check-in. I feel like that covers everything right. we wanted to check right. in about. Um, so let's talk about lying. Mm-hmm. Um, I have totally lied in the past, been a liar or an exaggerator, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would call, you know, like when I'm thinking about the identifiers of me, I don't know if I would call myself that, but I would say that I'm an extreme conflict avoidant or have been in my life so much so that I will take my personal truths and I will manipulate them enough until they turn into a lie that to make whatever situation less uncomfortable. And that yep. is a perfect example of, of how I have, I host a show called Just Break Up and I think I have only successfully broken up with someone like <laughs> once. And even then it was like drawn out of for a series of like three months and, you know... I, I yeah, just same. like, <laughs> one I just, time. <laughs> I just I, and I was like reflecting on that this morning when we were prepping for this episode, just like, you know, where, where is the root of, of my lies? And so much so in my life, the root of my lies have been because I felt like how I felt, you know, like using breaking up breakups as an example, um, as my personal example. Um, I've never successfully broken up with someone because I never thought that how I felt was enough, how my unhappiness in that relationship was not enough to justify breaking up with someone or justify making them uncomfortable or hurting them. So mm-hmm. instead, I would Google like how to break up with someone <laughs> and, and you know, scan all the results to, to try to find like a way that would manipulate my truth enough to not hurt them, but also get me out of the relationship. And guess what? That answer doesn't exist. So that's where lies would come from. Um, And just thinking about lies in general, like lies come from being triggered from, from feeling out of control um, and Mm. from feeling like not enough. Like, and so a lie, a lie reaches out and tries to take control of something or work or to justify an experience or whatever, things like that. They, they come from a really, insecure hurting place in us, a panicked place of us. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like the type of lies that you are feeling so bad about lying um, are probably also coming from this impulse to make other people see how much we're hurting in a way that they can understand. Right. Right. Like the idea of like your sexual assault was horrible and People don't always respond to sexual assault in ways that sort of understand how horrible they are unless they're penetrative rape, right? Right. Like From a stranger type in rape. the bushes. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. Right. And so like, and like when someone's breaking up with you too, like the pain that that causes as well is like, it, if you're feeling like it's unseen or like you're not, like people aren't believing it too. Like sometimes it's like, I find myself exaggerating things when I want people to know how big a deal it was. And I'm afraid that if I say something smaller, <laughs> they're not going to know it was a big deal for me. <laughs> right. Right. Like, it's like, I've had to pay $150 for that stupid parking, parking. ticket. Right. Yeah. And it's like, no, it was actually like 70 bucks, but it felt like <laughs> 150. Right. Like, and I want people to know how big a deal it yes, was. Totally. Um, And like, that's like, these are sort of of different scales, right? Like right. <laughs> parking ticket and like miscarriage. But I do think that there's like, a part of us that often lies about things because it's like, 
I know I want you to see how much this impacted me. And I feel like and I feel like my reality isn't enough to make you understand how big it is. Right. Mm. And like it's it's important for me for for you to know how big it is so that I can justify my response, my emotional response Mm. to this. Mm. And I think that that's like part of maybe what's coming up for you. And I would encourage you, as always, as I knew all the time, to talk to a therapist (laughs) about. Yes, I second that. Like what? What makes you think that your reality and the things that you are going through isn't enough for your emotional response to them, right? Mm. Like what about it? Like where did you learn that your emotional responses to things were outsized, were not valid, were were overreactions? Mm. Because I think that that's probably where a lot of this 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 impulse is coming from because I know that it's true for me. Right. I know that I, totally I lie agree. about things and exaggerate things because I was told as a kid that I was always overreacting. I was always told that my emotions were outsized, that they weren't appropriate for the situation. And so I have to tell stories that fit the size of yes. my emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a deep, deep comparative insecurity in there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 it is a deep. It's like a contract with the world that says, like what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, those feelings are not enough. Bring us something that is enough. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's heartbreaking, really, if I think about it. it um, is. And I, I, I also want to talk about, I want to talk about the miscarriage lie too, because I think it's a, of slightly a different make and model. <laughs> it's sure. like, a, it's a different approach because I think in that, and you know, it is lying. Like you, you kind of, you talked about them in different ways. Um, the sexual assault lie was a lie of like accidental inconvenience that made you feel validated in a way because of that, mm-hmm. because of the fear that it wouldn't, and, and because of our cultural understanding of sexual assault, whatever. Sam already said it perfectly. Um, but the, so the miscarriage lie um was a lie of, of, uh, it was a panic move. It was a panic. Um, and it, it, you know, we know it wasn't right and we know it was manipulative and we want to now look at like, what discomfort were you running from in that moment that made you feel like you as is alone in that moment was were not enough, but also that you had to, you had to grasp control through manipulation. You know, Mm -hmm. what, what has your life taught you about being out of control and how, Mm. you know, how, how safe or unsafe do you feel in those situations? Um, in my prep for this episode, I found a great quote by this therapist, Kim Eagle, and she writes, um, we we lie when telling the truth surpasses our comfort zone, basically thinking about comfort a truth being more distressing than the consequences of lying. Because in that moment, mm. there are no consequences to lie in most moments, right? It, most moments we don't have consequences to lying and that comfort that, 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 that neutrality in those moments feels a little bit safer, less distressing than actually telling the truth. And in the moment of the breakup, I think about, well, what is the truth and what is the lie? Like, what is the lie trying to save you from? The truth is that you're a human, that you're in a relationship in which someone doesn't want to be with you anymore because not everyone is meant for us and that you might be, be feeling afraid of feeling alone 
and of being left like that triggers that triggers a wound in me you know that mm-hmm. the triggers like the oldest wound in me is being unwanted you know um and that's the truth and so starting to unpack your unpacking your lying means starting to un, uh, starting to let go of trying to control situations and to allow situations to unfold i've been i was thinking recently this week talking about it with my sister about how my anxiety it's not just about letting good control letting go of control but it's also allowing whatever happens when i let go of control and accepting it right that like mm. um you being able to control the situation and to lie and to manipulate your partner and just keep staying i mean it's not going to keep bad things from happening to you it's not going to keep your partner from leaving you right And so um, is there a way for us, I want you to start thinking about what triggers you to lie. Like it's, so in the first situation, it's a situation of feeling valid. And the second one is, is a situation in which facing the truth of being alone, of being a left, left of facing those, that feel, that terrible, terrible feeling, human feeling um, was, was more terrifying than, than the consequences of lying in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably both of those things are true at this, like totally. in both of these situations too, right? Because I could imagine a case in which you felt like you had to say the thing about the miscarriage because you had to make him know mm. how mm. much You're you were so hurting, right. and yep. and you had to make him feel bad. You want you want you know like you wanted him to feel bad enough to justify how much you were hurting, right? To say like what do I need to say in order to get this guy to understand and feel bad enough about this? Right. That, that's sort of like, I can, I can see my own pain mirrored and I can oh accept God, it totally, as valid. Right. Totally. So like, again, these are all things that you should like talk to your therapist about, right? Like Sierra and I are not trained in this at all. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's put that reminder back in here just <laughs> real quick in this, in this letter. Um, but I also just want to say too, I want to acknowledge the fact that a lot of us lie and exaggerate more than we are willing to admit. Right. And, and I think it's something that we should talk about more and we should acknowledge more because it is, we get so sort of um, triggered or like upset about the lies that people tell. But I I think a lot of us tell lies all the time, right. And and exaggerate things all the time. And so, and the, Examining where those impulses are coming from, that impulse around exaggeration or around lying is actually probably better for us than to like condemn people for lying all the time. I, <laughs> like, I totally you know, agree. Like, both at the same time, right? Like practicing the accountability as well as sort of like self-awareness around it. But, you know, I think that there are multiple reasons why people lie. And and I think it behooves us to sort of do some some internal investigation, both you right. lying to yourself and me and Sierra too for having sort of like a really emotional response to this letter of being like, oh, like I don't know how to people who this. lie are right or like people who lie are bad people. Like I don't know if we even want to touch this and saying like, no, there is. It's more important for us to dig into the reasons why we're doing this and like have authentic conversations mm-hmm. about it than it is for us to just sort of cast people aside or to say, or to say that this is a certain type of person who would do this. Mm. When it's and everybody. Sort of, mm-hmm. Right. And instead sort of talk about these things much more open about like, what are the reasons why people exaggerate? Where is that fear coming from? What, 
what in us is driving people to sort of feel the need to exaggerate or lie about these types of things. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that examination comes, um, I think lying that a great place that you can start in addition to seeking out a mental health professional um, uh, who won't think you're a bad person, right? Because Sam and I don't think you're a bad person. Um, But finding someone that you can talk about this to about this with and working to examine, um, like maybe think about the, some of the lies that you're not proud of the two that you've listed here. Maybe there are more. And I want you to write, journal about them and, and maybe write about like who you were with, what were you, what you were feeling, what led to the lie, what was the aftermath of the lie um, and try to figure out because like, for me, I see a lot of um, trying to, to, to feel protected, like to feel mm-hmm. cared for. I, 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 I see a little child in you that doesn't feel like enough and is really craving to be seen and held and taken care of and protected. Right. Because, because there are, there are, there's a child in all of us that's hurting and needs somebody to advocate for them. Right. Right. And, um, and I, I, I think about that inner pull in us, right. To, 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 to say something that isn't true to get the response, you know, to get the response of care, affection, protection from our community members, from our loved ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and until, until we start trying to, one, identify what that need is, and two, practicing, 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 giving it to ourselves— Um, that this wound is going to keep reopening. You're going to keep, because we're never going to not be triggered, right? You were never going to not be triggered to tell a lie instead of telling the truth, right? That's just Mm -hmm. part of life. Um, So I'm wondering, Line, like, what does it look like for you to hold um, yourself and say, um, I was sexually assaulted and my experience is valid as is, you know, somebody left me. And I felt panic in that moment and that's okay because I'm here for myself, right? I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to hold myself during the pain of being left, left, right? Instead of the the grasping, the reaching out um, for control that lying does. Um, And that's hard, man. Like that's, that's a life's journey that you've, that you've started. And there we, you know, Sam and I may not have similar lies in our repertoire, but we sure as shit have similar things that we need to unpack, you know, deep um, misunderstandings about ourselves and deep, deeply seated coping mechanisms that we're not proud of. That's, that's what we're signing up for here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's not blatantly obvious uh, at the end of this letter, Sam and I want to remind you one more time that there is no such thing as an evil person that you are not a, There's not somebody didn't plant like a seed of evil in you that makes you do these things. We are all Mm -hmm. humans that are functioning with no user manual, no directions, (laughs) no blueprint Uh as to like how to be a fucking human and deal with the thousands of chemicals and hormones in our brains, the millions of stimulants, whether it be another human that we love 
the thing on the news, the the impact, the biases of our media, like we are all responding mm-hmm. to so much and just trying and we're making it up as we go along. So you have made might have made choices that you are not proud of, that you're looking back on, that you want to rectify, but that does not make you a bad person inherently. It makes you incredibly, incredibly human along with the rest of us. Absolutely. All right, Lion. We love you so much for writing. We love you. Good luck. All right. The final letter is coming to us from Alexander is confused, who is writing to us from feel something, Texas. (laughs) Cute. (laughs) I came across your podcast recently and would like to thank you for what you're doing. I admit I do not like talking about my feelings and have had a very hard time finding help on my own. But your podcast helped me with a lot of things I have felt and how I can work with things while remaining private. I know I'm not alone, so please know there is a silent many that truly appreciate that podcast. Mm -hmm. I find that deeply, deeply charming. Mm -hmm. I came to a gymnastics gym about two years ago with a friend. And as painfully cheesy as it is, one of the first women I saw when I walked in, I immediately fell in love with. Aside from the physical attraction, she has a very strong aura about her that drew me in. I fucking love, I love me a strong aura connection. <laughs> <laughs> One that shows on the outside, and to many, she is an impenetrable warrior goddess, but I could see slash feel a pain on the inside that built who she is. This is important because it relates how to how I got where I am. I purposely did not speak to her for over a year because she was seeing someone in the gym and I respect relationships very much and knew it would be dishonest of me to quote, be her friend when that is not at all how I felt. Once they broke up a few months later, I somehow some way grew the courage to ask her out on our very first date, which went very well. I felt a connection and opened up to her about something I do not talk about to anyone. My brother passed away from suicide. This came up from a tattoo I have, not just out of nowhere. And she went on to tell me that she dealt with the same thing, but with her mother. I bring this up because when you have gone through a tragedy like this in your life, it is very hard to find someone who can understand you. It changes you as a person and very few people grasp what you deal with and who you are because of it. We started dating and for me, I was the most happy I've been in a very long time. For her though, I could feel that she was happy, but had reservations. I feel slash felt as though I know her pretty well and had a feeling it was not about me, but the idea of letting someone in and giving this slash us a real shot. The distance and the pull from her was hurting me so much. And it finally came to a conversation where I figured I needed to leave it out all on the table. And I told her I loved her about six months into the relationship. Her response was along the lines of quote, you deserve someone better. I'm better off alone. I just need to be ready slash fix myself first. This truly devastated me. And like any breakup had my mind running in circles on what the hell just happened. We always had a great time together. We're involved in each other's lives. Best friends, really. I have never been in a relationship that ended like this. It has always been more of a rough or bad event. Someone cheated, said that they didn't like me anymore, moved away, etc. In the end, I just couldn't shake the fact that she was just scarred and wanted to run from the feeling of having someone in her life. A few weeks later, we talked again, and she admitted it that was largely the issue. She missed me, feels a little empty without me, but still has the feeling of wanting to run slash have freedom, etc. 
I am stuck in a hard place because I want to still quote, work with her because I know what that feeling is like to the core. I was like that too. With her, I decided early on to let go and give us a shot and let my feelings go. The question is, when do you stop trying for someone in a sense? I want to give her help, coax her, show her that it is okay on this side of things. Also, though, I can see how if I do all the work, per se, that it would be not real, perhaps. There's a gray area, and I'm not sure where it starts and ends. If I let her go on her own, I know she is very strong in her ways and will seek safety from shelling up and being alone. If I keep with her and stick around, though, it could be like you've mentioned in a recent podcast, tricking her into loving me in a way. What is the right move? All right, Alexander is confused. Thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this letter. I think Alexander mm. uh, articulated that gray area so well. And I think that this situation is one of the like uh, trickiest, most underdog situation, like hardships in a relationship. <laughs> like it's not like the lard, the lard. Oh my God. <laughs> the lard? It's not like the loud, hard situations like Lard. cheating or, or you know, like infidelity or like somebody's moving away. You know, like those things, as Alexander writes, are are simple, right? But this this situation, I think, is a really common one. Um, and it's one of the I, I, the point I'm trying to make is that it's just one of the hardest, um, quietest uh, situations that a relationship can be to me because um, it's like. Do I stay? Do I go? This person says that they love me, but they're not ready to be with me in a broken way. It's not like I'm a non-committal douchebag who is just wants to like faux date you until I find something else. Anyway, uh, help me out, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, what I really appreciate about your letter is that it sounds like you're someone who like maybe had more of a, an avoidant attachment style at some point, you know, someone who was sort of trying to keep other people at bay um, right. or really not wanting to go fully into relationships out of fear of getting hurt or that there are other better things out there or that you're just sort of not ready for it. Um, and it's such a shame that, that you were really ready to sort of move past that and really dig into this relationship and, and sort of dating someone who seems like also is exhibiting some of those avoidance styles as well um and i think you know i think that like the romantic impulse in me and in a lot of people would be like yeah just keep keep on keeping on right like try and try and like get her to a point where she's going to be ready try and you know um support her and sort of show up and and tell her how much you care about her and show her that it's safe to be in relationship with you show her that like you're going to take good care of her and that she has nothing to fear. Um, and <laughs> uh, I think that that, you know, that's in many ways a recipe for a lot of hardship for you. Mm. Um, and I think. I think that my sort of reading of the things that she's saying to you and the things that she's trying to convey to you are are her sort of being really nice? <laughs> mm. uh, are her sort of like telling you things that she exactly like Sierra in her previous relationships when she didn't want to break, she didn't want to hurt people's feelings when she broke well, up with homie, them? You are reading me <laughs> to 
to <laughs> filth. But I couldn't agree more. I literally this situation makes me uncomfortable because I want to I've believe. Done it. Yeah. <laughs> this is why this situation is tricky because I know that there are people out there and relationships out there that have been born of someone maybe with an avoidant attachment style or someone with great reservation or intimacy issues and not really feeling like they're worth it, finally opening up because they felt Mm -hmm. safe or whatever. I know that those relationships exist, but I also know for a fact that I have said the exact same thing and really just meant I'm unhappy uh, or like I don't want. And that's a fucking, like, let's go to the lying letter. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) fucking, that is... That is a form of control, con- manipulation. That's a form of like self-harm, of like devaluing my own feelings. I-, I don't know. I feel so conflicted about this letter because I know those two, I know both scenarios exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what's a, like, I can name couples in my life or who I know who have like had the situation where one of them was just like, I'm not going to date you. And then like two years later. It's like, oh, well, now we're dating and like we're getting married and everything's going great. Yeah. And also, I would say nine times out of 10, I've seen a situation where a person is like, um, I think you I think you deserve better than me. Or like, I just need to I need some time to work on myself. And it's like, no, what they're actually saying to you is that they don't want to date you, but they just don't want to say it. (laughs) And let me unpack that because I just had an epiphany. It's like. When I would say that in the past, it was because I didn't. It was better for me to say, oh, I am broken than to say my feelings are valid and I don't want to be with you. It was right. it was easier for me to say to to turn it inward and say, like, oh, I'm just so fucked up. I like can't show up in this relationship. You deserve better than me. It was it was easier for my fucking subconscious to like create and live that narrative than mm-hmm. to hurt someone like to, to you know which yeah. but but let's face it alexander is she not hurting you does this right. not hurt anyway is it even not more confusing um i think that yeah. this is worse honestly you even say that like you said you know there other have breakups been things make more sense other breakups have been yeah have made more sense have been easier even when the person was like i just don't like you anymore yeah right because then it's like well, that sucks. And also, okay, well, now yeah. I know that I need to go find someone who's going to like me. <laughs> but yeah. instead, yeah. like this narrative that we that we do often in relationships when we break up with people and we don't want to hurt their feelings is that we then just are, like give them so many confusing things that they're like, wait, what am I supposed to do with this information? This makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, And having been on the receiving end of that shit where it's like, oh, I think you're just better off without me. It's like, who are you to decide that? And... No, now I'm yeah. confused. If you're if you don't want to date me, don't date me. So, I would say in my experience, and this is just one experience Humble, in the world of seven billion people, yeah. <laughs> right? Is that like my experience is that like ninety nine times out of a hundred, when somebody is like, "Hey, I don't think I'm ready for this relationship," they mean that they're just not they're not that into you, mm. right? They're just not they don't want to date you. There may be one time in a hundred where it's like, no, I'm just not ready and stick with me for the next three years. And then while I continue to treat you poorly and then we'll get together and hopefully get married and like have a really wonderful life. But like that seems like for at least my experience, right, is that like that seems like the much less likely scenario in this situation. Yeah. I And I would even like flip it a little bit to I totally agree with Sam. <laughs> 
but I would I would say in the in the off chance, but possible chance that this that these feelings are real. Well, and also let's let me say this explicitly. When I have said that to people in the past, yes, I might have been I might have been manipulating or exaggerating the truth to to avoid the conflict of like the breaking up in a hurtful way. But I also sure. sure as shit believed that about myself. I thought I yeah. was broken. You know what I mean? Right. So I just maybe that's like a good thing to express there is that like a lot of things can be happening at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I want to, so I want to flip it a little bit and say like, okay, so let's say this is all true. Everything's true. <laughs> um, so you want to support her and you want to empower her. Um, then I would say, believe her, believe her mm-hmm. and say, I hear you. You're not ready for a relationship. I'm going to honor that truth that you're telling me. And honor my boundaries at the same time, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. a great way to support someone is to believe them and then to mirror healthy behaviors for them. Right. To like, Mm. um, to, to give them, you know, and, and then, so if, if her, if her inner monologue is like, I'm so broken and you say, okay, cool, here are the new boundaries. And she starts leaning on you for she starts crossing over those boundaries, then you can say, look, this, this conflicts with the truth that you told me about yourself. Um, right. Are you, you know, are you maybe not giving yourself enough credit? Are you thinking that you're, you don't deserve me? You know, you can use those. If, if there are future contradictions after you believe her and uphold those new boundaries, you can use that proof, um, that contradicting proof as maybe a way to like, I don't know, shake that that harmful inner monologue about herself but i i I agree with sam you know it doesn't matter to me what her intentions are what she's what or or like what her potential is that's what i should say it Mm. doesn't matter to me what her potential is right now alexander what what i care about is that you're believing her um and that you're supporting yourself through what do you need in this experience what do you need in this time and i don't want you to say like well i need her that's that is an emotional feeling and not a need. What do you need right now to take care of yourself, to nourish yourself, to start healing from this wound? Because here's the other thing. Even if you guys get back together, it has to be a different relationship and you have to be you're going to be a different person. We change every day. We add new skills, new perspective. Um, we change all the time. So the best thing you, I think you can do in this moment is believe her and nurture yourself. Absolutely. And I think I'll just remind you of the things that I've reminded many of our listeners that there is love out there that isn't going to make you work this hard. Right. Mm. And I think and I think sort of putting it into perspective of like how much how much digging do you want to do and when are you going to decide when when you've reached a point where like there's no water here, it's time to find water somewhere else. That metaphor that Sierra always uses and I think sort of being intentional about that and, and keeping that top of mind for yourself, because, you know, I just what I don't want you to do is invest hours and hours and work of work in this person who's not going to be able at any point to reciprocate it for mm. you because you have so Painful. much to give. You have so much love, right? You are you are walking in through the world trying to be open and vulnerable and let those emotions go and give people a shot. Right. And and that's. That's an amazing thing. That is like a priceless, a priceless treasure. And you deserve 
to have someone in your life who's going to honor that and see it and sort of meet you where you're at in that mm. as well. And and I I trust you to sort of know what the situation is, but I want you to just make sure that you're you are respecting and honoring that beautiful emotional gift that you are capable of giving people and see it for what it is, which is something that deserves love, attention, that deserves to be met with with equal amounts of vulnerability with emotional openness. Mm, I totally agree. Just really last thing. We know this sucks. This sucks. This sucks mm. so hard. And we're sorry. Um, Absolutely. You're not doing anything wrong. Your your heart doesn't deserve this. It's just a part of being open and vulnerable. Um, it's it's mm. a part of meeting the world like heart first, heart open. Yep. And um, it might feel scarier um, and... Uh, it might, it might, it might make you feel like you should go back to that protective shell, but this is where we, we forge true vulnerable connections with people. If not with this girl, like said, like Sam said, with someone in the future. Absolutely. We love you, Alexander. Hope you're a little Thank bit less so confused. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of the show. Every show, we like to set you up some, with something that we love. This week, we are sending you home with... A television show on Netflix called Shadow and Bone. Ooh, can't wait. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it is a fantasy series. Um, it is... The production quality on it is fantastic. It is just <laughs> like... It is so much fun to watch. There are... Um, it takes place. It's about this sort of like land where people can like manipulate elements and stuff like pretty standard fare for fantasy. Um, <laughs> but what I appreciate about it is that it is um, it's got a ragtag group of like people coming together, which is always my favorite thing. There's like some chosen family elements to it. Um, it is like really easy to watch. Okay. Um Even if you haven't like read the books or anything, because I hadn't read the books before okay. I watched the show. Um it's just like it's one of those shows where you can like sit there and like consume it and it's just like, oh, this feels so good. Right. Right, like, right. It's not like it's not like the best television show ever created, but it's just like so much fun to watch. It's so engaging. I was interested the whole time. It told a really good story. Um, there were parts about it that I didn't like, which we can talk about after you watch it. Got it. Um I haven't seen it. And then I and then I also read the books and Ooh, ooh okay, the books, okay, the books okay, are okay. Books are not as good as the as the TV show, <laughs> just to be clear. Sorry to anyone who loves those books. Um, but I loved it. It was like I sort of stumbled across it and started watching it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I needed in this moment. Something that is entertaining. It's rich in like a lot of different ways, but not like overwhelmingly rich. Right. It was just sort of like exactly like we're heading into summer. We're heading into like maybe post pandemic times. Our mm -hmm. brains are fried. Our resiliency is low. And it was just like, this is great. What a romp. This has been so much fun to watch. So check it out. It's on Netflix. It's called Shadow and Bone. Can't wait. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify. And remember to support us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode 
That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. Original music, recording, editing, producing, all magical things by our amazing friend, Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cat. You can listen to his music on Spotify right now. And remember, you deserve the good, true things in life and love. Just because it didn't work out with someone or because you've made mistakes in the past or just because you've hurt people doesn't mean you don't deserve good things. Forgive the person that hurt you. Forgive yourself. Let go of everything that isn't meant to serve you. All this work, all this mental labor you're doing is taking you to a better, safer, more authentic self. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>